Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. The implementation of the $1.2 trillion bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act represents the largest infusion of infrastructure funds in a generation. With so much funding up for grabs, road bumps are to be expected. Our federal government relations team discusses what implementation of this historic bill looks like, what will get funded, potential oversight of these funds, and how the Biden administration's legislative agenda will be affected going forward. Welcome back to another podcast by the Brownstein team. This is Mark Baggage. I am the former U.S. Senator from Alaska, former mayor, and I've been a strategic advisor for Brownstein for almost a half a dozen years. And I'm joined with three of my colleagues, Jeff Burr, who's a former senior official at the Department of Transportation and the Department of Labor for many years, brings that experience to our infrastructure team. I also have Bill McGrath, who is a former staff director for the Interior and Energy and Environmental Subcommittee of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. Several works that he does, and also he's a member of the Energy's Environmental Resource Strategic Advisory Team. I'm also uh, joined with Kate Gonzalez, who is a trusted advisor to the Brownstein team. She worked in both the, on the House side and the Senate side for Senator Kirsten Cinema and has been a big part of our infrastructure advisory group. She also served on the Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Aviation Space for Senator Cinema. Thank you all for joining us this afternoon. Today, we want to talk about the implementation of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. It's a, it was a bipartisan bill that created enormous amount of resources to go out to the country to build our infrastructure. And this is probably one of the hottest subject matters uh, that people ask us about is how does this bill work? What's in this bill? And when is the money going to flow? So let me first start uh, maybe with Jeff. Your experience in DOT, you've seen in the past infrastructure money and needs out there. So what's so different about this bill? What makes this legislation important, especially to many of our clients, but clients that are looking to access this resource? Sure. Yeah. I mean, in my time at DOT, we, we managed a lot of infrastructure money, but nothing to this scale. Um, you know, this is a big bipartisan bill uh, and, and possibly the last bipartisan bill we'll ever see. We'll have to wait and see on that. But um, it's a big bill. And, and what it really amounts to is a five-year service transportation reauthorization with half a trillion dollars uh, scooped on top of a normal one. So you get half a trillion dollars for add-ons and funding to some of the most popular programs uh, in the kind of infrastructure world and new programs as well. And so I think the good news for people that follow this and are really interested in it is that while some of this money has started to trickle out the door, uh, as we sit here in March, we're about to get, knock on wood, an omnibus appropriations bill. And when that passes, you're going to see a lot of this new money that I just referenced start really flowing out the door. And so it's a really good time to be engaged. It's a really good time to be in the infrastructure business. And over you know the rest of this year and into the next four years after that, there's going to be a historic level of infrastructure funding that's available uh, in kind of a multimodal way 
uh, whether you're building bridges or electric vehicle charging stations or airports, you name it, there's going to be really more money than there has been in any time in recent history that's going to be being given out by the federal government. Uh, Kate, let me ask you, I mean, you worked for then Representative uh, Cinema, but also when she moved over to the Senate. So you kind of have the House and Senate background, but you also served, I think, staff to her uh, subcommittee on aviation space. It seems like, you know, when you think about this kind of money and the legislative body, I mean, my assumption is that even though the bill has passed, the role of Congress hasn't diminished it if anything it might be even more important to make sure that money gets out the door but maybe you have some thoughts about how that how congress will interact with the administration to ensure this pretty historic piece of legislation moves definitely i think you're completely right on that it's 1.2 trillion dollars of investment that we will see distributed over five years um and i think what we're seeing right now a lot of our colleagues, a lot of um, folks in D.C. and then across the country who are trying to tap into these funds are experiencing kind of a, a slow walk at best in some situations. But then beyond that, um, kind of a lack of information as the agencies work to set up their internal infrastructure to distribute these funds. You know, a lot of these agencies were recovering from COVID still, staffing back up. And getting just their feet under themselves when this bill was passed. So they're continuing to set up these new agencies, these new loan opportunities, these new funding opportunities um, with the need for more staff, but then also the need to find out how to implement a lot of these programs that Congress in the correct way gave them the bandwidth and power to dictate how entities can qualify for these funds, but as a result, you know, they need to go through with a fine tooth comb to figure out how to get these funds out. And I think that's where Congress's job is still not done, where they need to monitor them closely and make sure these agencies are working in a timely manner um, because our country's infrastructure, hard and soft, needs to obviously benefit from these funds. But You know, I think Congress just needs to keep an eye on the agencies since they do have the largest bill that a lot of us will see in our lifetimes ever pass through Congress at this point. Bill, let me ask you, you know, you work in the firm's Energy, Environment and Resource uh, Strategy Group. And when you think about this bill, you know, not only is it transportation, broadband, Internet, uh, EV, you know, electrical vehicles, DOT, roads, there's a component of this that's going to deal with kind of the energy arena. And I'd love to hear your kind of thinking of how this works. And, you know, the energy department isn't necessarily known for developing big grant programs or multi-layered grant programs, but one, what do you think is valuable in this piece of legislation, but how will the energy department deal with this? And, and I know we spend a lot of time, it seems talking to the energy department about this bill and their implementation strategies, but give me, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, uh, it really goes to the fact that you have an attempt to supercharge the green energy economy here. And it's a, a large amount of money that's trying to do everything from uh, electrical vehicle charging, grants to states and localities uh, to help build out their EV fleets, uh, build out the supply chain for, for batteries and battery materials, which is something that's that's particularly of interest now because 
a lot of the supply chain comes from the, the classic uh, China and Russia. And so trying to bring a lot of that home, both the manufacturing uh, and even some of the refining, which is a little unusual for the Department of Energy to be doing, but it's really a way to try to jumpstart that economy and bring those jobs back here. And so you have this, this process that's going to be a five-year process to get this money out the door that, that really is something that is a struggle for them right off the bat because it's so much money for the Department of Energy to be dealing with that they're trying to reorganize uh, their internal setup so that they'll have enough people and hire up a lot more to try to get money out the door. So I know a lot of people are, uh, as soon as this passed, they're like, we need to go now and figure this out. But it is more of a marathon than a sprint to try to find ways to get this money out. Bill, that's a great comment. It kind of echoes what Kate said, that it's not as simple as bill passes, checks are written, projects happen, right? It's not as simple as that. And there's processes that every department, well, they got to write the rules, they got to go through the review, they got to get the input and then try to figure out how to logistically get it out there. And that's kind of an energy department may not have done this in the past at this level. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, you've seen this across the board from energy and transportation and EPA all trying to staff up and, and a lot of times buy some time doing requests for information rather than immediately putting out grant applications. Right. So it's more than their their regular uh, amount of money they're dealing with. So it's it's something new everywhere. I know we've gotten requests from clients and, and new folks that are talking to the Brownstein team about how they how we can help and the kind of the new element compared to 2009 when they, we had that big stimulus bill in 2009, it was just get the money out in fast and furious. And in this bill, it's, well, let's do an RFI, a request for information. Let's get more input. And before they even get to potentially an RFP, a request for proposal. So it's a different process. I like your description. It's not a you know, sprint. It's a little bit more of a marathon. And I guess, Jeff, you, you know, you worked, you know, around the DOT administration. I know DOT has kind of been in the grant game for many years, but they're even going to have to bring in up to a thousand people, 50 new programs. But for the folks that are listening, what, what are some of those unique parts or what do you see as kind of things people need to be thinking about as they approach, maybe it's DOT with an infrastructure project? You know, it's funny. I was laughing when Bill was making reference to RFIs because I always joke with people that it's not really a joke. Whenever we put an R- out an RFI, that meant we have something we're supposed to do and we have no idea how to do it. <laughs> good, good point. That's a little bit of what's going on here. You know, the way that Congress drafted this bill, it was a little bit unusual in how they typically operate. They gave these departments a tremendous amount of discretion to develop criteria and eligibility for these programs. And so, you know, whether you see an RFI or just an opportunity to go into these agencies, they are, they're not flying blind here. I mean, DOT, to your point, really knows how to manage a grant program. They have some very, very popular grant programs. And this bill rightly gives some of those programs historic levels of funding. And what's typically happened when I was there and the years prior to that is you have these programs, these infrastructure programs that have uh, about a 10% award rate. In other words, 90% of people that apply are unsuccessful just because the programs are so oversubscribed. And so this new influx of money is going to allow that to double or triple 
because I, I know from my time there, we would turn away good projects, dozens of good projects every time we did a grant solicitation. So, so that's good news for a lot of good infrastructure projects that may, may have lost, not necessarily because they weren't meritorious, but just because there was so much competition. So what people need to be doing, uh, you know, is thinking about the fact that the Congress did give this broad discretion to these agencies and they need to make sure that their project or, or their technology is not excluded from the eligibility criteria that these departments are working on right now, because that that's really what the game is right now for the next, let's say, six months. Let me ask you on the DOT, and I'm going to stick on that for just a second here, uh, Jeff. The, the idea that someone comes in this first round, is, is it if they lose the first round of opportunity, does that, do you think they're like, that's it, don't waste your time in the next several years? And then the reverse of that is if you get into the first round, and again, I'm using DOT, uh, does that guarantee you in the future? And I guess that's, you know, people will ask that question, you know, if they lose out of the first round, why waste the time? I'm trying to get in again, but your thoughts. This is probably an oversimplification, but let, let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. One is on the two uh, really, really popular infrastructure programs, uh, discretionary grant programs of DOT, the, the recently renamed RAISE program, formerly BUILD, formerly TIGER grants, and the INFRA program, I think formerly Fastlane, if I've got that right, almost zero applicants are successful their first try. It happens, but it's rare. Mm-hmm. But there are many that, that are successful on their second, third, or fourth try. Uh, and then the good news after that is once you've received a grant and you've managed it well, whether they'll admit it or not, the departments and the people that process these things look upon you as someone that's competent and it's a good project and you're likely to get more funding. So you know, persistence in all of this and, and not getting discouraged by failing the first or the second time is wise. And I get that not every project's on a timeline that, that they can live with that, but it is very typical for a project not to succeed on the first or second try, but then eventually getting feedback from the department after they have a failed application, which is something the departments will do. They will, after, after they've turned you down, they will walk you through, here are the strengths and weaknesses of your application that can be helpful. And then you can come back uh, in future solicitations and be successful. So Kate, let me follow up with that on a broad scale. I think one of the things I've started to notice is departments are putting out, uh, you know, webinars or information opportunities and these RFIs, which are starting to grab interest. It seems like I know we've been approached browsing more than once from groups trying to understand how to, uh, respond to these RFIs? What should these packages look like? But are you seeing that in, in some of the client work you do? And, and what, what's the advice you'd be giving to folks at that early stage of information? Of course, the first advice is they should call us, but that's another part of the equation. Uh, but you know, when you have someone that comes knocking at the door and they say, look, we're interested in doing, let's say, EVs or uh, some other EV charging stations, or they have a big project. What, what What's that first stage under this scenario now in front of us? Well, I think something important to remember is right now, um, the market in a lot of ways is getting flooded. Folks are excited. They saw this bill move through Congress. They saw the amount of funding. Um, so everyone wants to get part of the bill. 
what we're seeing as these clients are approaching us right now is the perfect time for them to fine tune their message, set themselves apart from the rest of the pack in whatever industry they're in, whether that is EV, whether that's some of these emerging technologies, um, you know, it's really important for them to fine tune that we do this. It'll help the American infrastructure by doing this, you know, here's how we can do it in a clean green way. And we're ready to hit the ground running. So internally, that's something that should be done. Externally, you know, a lot of these fundings do go directly to states. So it's important to start some strategic uh, plans about where you can see these projects deployed, start having informational meetings with stakeholders in those regions. And then, you know, we continue to have conversations with the various agencies as allowed for projects and then as well as having um, informational meetings with folks on the Hill. You know, right now, a lot of technology is coming out of the woodwork in a great way. Um, And that's the purpose of this bill to push our country forward. So it's important to educate not only lawmakers and not only agencies, but the states that will also be able to implement some of these projects. So that's the advice we're giving clients primarily right now. You know, engaging in those RFIs is very important. As Jeff mentioned, we want to make sure that those projects do pick up the right buckets of folks. Um, and what we're seeing is there's a lot of different people out there, uh, which is great. And I think that's what Congress expected. Um, and that's why they left the the language so broad. But as the agencies tighten it up, we want to make sure that the right people are included and those messages are heard. So, you know, get your ducks in a row and, and get ready for when these RFPs do come out. Bill, let me ask you, uh, Kate mentioned something I thought was important. Not only is it on the federal level and, you know, Brownstein through your all reach and the work you all do every day, you know, we have the capacity to get into and talk to people within the administration in the halls of Congress. But another piece of this is the statewide activity. As Kate mentioned, some of this money comes right to the states and thinking about what that means. I know from the Brownstein team, we have a fairly significant and growing state practice around the country. And, you know, there are two elements, not only state and local government, but also tribal infrastructure investment, huge amount of money that will be put into that end of the equation. You know, any thoughts you have on how people see it from the state end and what, what they should be looking out for. Again, I know we spend a lot of time with our team on the state level talking to folks of how to access the money because it's not always going to be direct to the federal than state. It might be direct to states or tribal governments. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on in the both the Department of Transportation and the Department of Energy sectors that flows through that's kind of set aside for states, localities, and and Native American tribes to to control the spend, and, and you would have a second layer of application there, right? So you would be able to have one bite at the apple from the uh, federal aspect, but each one of these localities is also getting a lot of money, and uh, we've been working quite a bit with a lot of our state team and uh, different municipalities, specifically on the EV charging infrastructure, because a, a lot of that is going to be better cited at the state and local level than with the feds coming down from on top. And so a good percentage is there. And so we've, we've been doing meetings across the country with our state and local team to do that. And then the one other thing I'd add is there's also a, a big area where they ask for partnerships, uh, especially with tribal organizations, 
and trying to partner with some of the tribes is a way to, to differentiate uh, your application from some others. So we've helped put together uh, some pre-application work with different tribes and different organizations to make sure you have the best chance of uh, actually getting a grant. And I know we're going to do a different podcast at a later time on state and local governments and how that funding all works. But, you know, you mentioned the tribal and that's an important part of this that people need to keep in mind that these partnerships, may they be with tribes or local governments, but also with private sector on some of this infrastructure spend will be pretty critical. Let me ask you, um, whoever would like to jump in and I might, if I don't hear anybody, I'll call on you. Uh, It's like class. Don't sit in the back (laughs) of the room. Um, But here's one, you as a former Senator from Alaska, I always you know, we, we look at these bills, we get them out there, we fight hard for them. And then we start thinking about what's going to go wrong because, you know, the politics of some of these bills that pops up. And I guess from you all, what do you see, you know, from Congress or from the administration, they better be focused on that may be a bump in the road or may cause a derailment of some of the funding or the access to the funding. Any thoughts from any one of you on that end of it? Well, I, I was at DOT when control of Congress changed and we all of a sudden became subject to a whole lot of oversight. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that can derail your agenda like that, where you're, you're working proactively on your agenda and focusing on what your priorities are. And all of a sudden, you're on the defensive, constantly responding. Um, and so, you know, this is a savvy group at, at, at DOT and, and other places. Many of them have been in previous administrations. They know this is coming. And so that will be a real challenge as, you know, there's already been some sort of quiet criticism about how slow it's been to get some of this money out the door. Some of it not fair because appropriations was really um, undermining that or lack of appropriations. But there's going to start to be um, folks on the Republican side looking for the next Solyndra or the next thing that they can be very critical of the administration for not getting out more quickly. So, you know, that'll be something to really watch is does it slow down the ability of the administration to invest in their priorities when they're responding to a whole bunch of oversight, assuming there's a change in control of Congress? Which... Probably on the House side, yes, probably a change. Senate, not sure. So the likelihood of that is not low, not super high, but probably mid-range too high. And so that's a, a good point to bring bring forward. I don't know if Kate or Bill have any additional. I have just, and I'll, I'm sure Bill has additional thoughts, but, you know, I think this bill was is a bipartisan bill. It was negotiated by a bipartisan group of senators and 19 Republicans in the Senate voted for it, 13 Republicans in the House. Um, So it it did not have, I would say, strong widespread support in the House, which is, I think, kind of our most vulnerable location coming up um, this election cycle. And the potential for hearings, conversations, letters that will slow the process is very high. And I know Bill has some experience. So I'll let him jump in. But I just think it's important to remember it's bipartisan, but it it was not sweepingly bipartisan. So there is going to be a number of hiccups coming up. Bill, thoughts? And you got to think about the House of Representatives is going to be, assuming that Republicans take that, maybe not the Senate, uh, they're going to be pushing to show 
that the administration is incompetent, is not handling this money well, uh, with the goal of looking at 2024, the presidential election at that point. So they'll be aiming for those those targets, the cylinders, the fiskers, which uh, is somewhat unfair to the administration because if you look at the overall numbers after the 09 bill, it, a lot of this money did not go to the these bankrupt companies. But when you have a few of those targets, it's it's going to make it more difficult for all of the the regular work of these agencies to happen because you're responding to oversight, and that's kind of the part of the point of the oversight. Well, let me ask you this now, you know, we're almost at the end of the podcast and I want to kind of think about the future. So here we have uh, this massive bill, 1.2 trillion, give or take a few billion at uh, over five years. We got an appropriations bill that has a high likelihood of passing. What's the future? Well, we know Bill Back Better, if you listen to the reports, to, even the president never mentioned it in his State of the Union. He called it many other things. What's the future of infrastructure investment? Is there going to be another type of bill that's maybe a smaller amount that deals with taxes or revenue or uh, additional money? Any thoughts on that from anyone on the future beyond today? Yeah, I would just say the uh, the thing that I think could be very interesting is the, the, the what so-called China bill that's been named five or six different things, uh, which is a competition bill to try to help uh, largely the semiconductor industry, but a whole bunch of other places too compete with China. Uh, it's passed the House and Senate. It's likely to go to a uh, conference at some point here um, and try to work out the differences. But it's very interesting because as opposed to what's being done with uh, grants uh, under the uh, infrastructure bill, it does a lot more base research um, kind of supercharges the National Science Foundation, adds, adds money to the Department of Commerce. And so it would complement this pretty well and also pass both houses in a bipartisan basis. So uh, I think there's a decent chance that you could see that happen uh, sometime uh, in the next few months. Jeff, Kate, your crystal ball on this one? Well, I was going to make the same comment that Bill just made. I agree with everything he just said. And the other thing I just keep an eye on is what's going on with uh, Ukraine and Russia right now and the disruptions that's going to cause to the supply chain, uh, whether it's to EV batteries or wheat or you name it. There's all sorts of different disruptions that it will provide to our economy. And that could lend itself to another government funding bill that tries to either stand up domestic production in those areas or figure out other solutions there. And so that could kind of meander into the infrastructure space as well in the coming months. Kate? Yeah. And I'll piggyback on that. I think, you know, in any other Congress and any other presidency, this bill would be the bill. Um, we were talking about Build Back Better quite a bit. We're talking about this China competition bill. We have a lot of work to do on appropriations across the board. Um, so I, I'm not sure how much more Congress will do, uh, primarily because of its bandwidth as, as they're addressing supply chain issues, continuing to work through appropriations, a Supreme Court nominee. You know, we're, we're running out of time um, on those. But I do think in terms of potential tax extenders, clean energy incentives, the door is always open for that. It's just finding the vehicle. But um an additional large sweeping package. I think our window, we're at a window now and it's, it's shutting um, by the week and by the month that I don't think that this administration will have another opportunity. 
Well, thank you guys for doing such a great job. Jeff, Bill, Kate from the Brownstein team. We're always happy to bring this kind of information, not only to our clients, but others that are listening to our podcast and appreciate all your guys' time today. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.